Hello and welcome to episode 69 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. This week's quick on the counter edition is going to highlight our win versus Seattle and preview this upcoming match versus Orlando. So boys, very, very excited to hear your opinions about our destruction of Team Starbucks. Gentlemen, what'd you think of our win? Initial thoughts, obviously happy with the win. I think we didn't have our shooting boots on all of the match. I think that the game could have been a good seven or eight goals put away. I think our reaction and subs were good in terms of Bob after they scored that first goal. But those are my overarching kind of observations. What did you think, Chris? I thought that, you know, the game was a lot closer at first than I felt like at the before the first goal was actually scored, I felt like they both teams came out and they looked it looked competitive. It looked and then as as the score went up for LAFC, I felt I saw a lack of energy and a lack of um, effort coming from Seattle. I think that their spirits were kind of taken out of them, and that just showed a, a big sign of defeat. And at that point, I felt like the game was truly ours, regardless of the fact that there was that late goal by Will Bruin to, at that time, cut the score in half 2-1. to one. I think that you could just see in their... Uh, demeanor the effort just wasn't there well brilliant i the point of today's episode is we're just going to kind of run through the last game and give our thoughts on some player performances highlight some of the fun stuff that we saw throughout the course of the game kind of take our big takeaways from it and then preview the match versus orlando real quick so as far as diving back into this game versus seattle you know that first 10 minutes of the game we saw a flurry of chances right off the bat we had k just barely miss a header Blessing just barely miss a knee and a twist of fire one across the box for the first 10 minutes of the game, pretty much every single shot. And this played out through the course of the first half really as well, too, where we outshot them 10 to one. But throughout those first 10 minutes or so, it really seemed like LAFC was pressing for that first goal. And lo and behold, a few seconds later, we get our first gift from a center back of Seattle in the penalty to Rossi. So your initial thoughts, boys, did you think it was a pen and how'd you think he took it? I totally thought it was a penalty. Um, I think, you know, the approach of this match reminded me a lot of the Leon game. Like they, they came in hungry. I know the first three matches, I feel like it took a good half hour or so to get the engine revved to a point where we're, we're used to. And usually that they, they have that intensity in the second half. Uh, I agree with you. The first 10 minutes, they kind of put them on their heels uh, they tried to make it make it competitive, but I think in doing so, they try to play out the back too much, and they couldn't handle the press. And their center backs are not comfortable with with the ball at their feet or being pressured. And I think that was frustrating. And I think it also led to that bad tackle. And Ariaga plays this way every game. Um, he's dirty. He's not necessarily um, uh, good with his feet in terms of footwork uh, and defending. And he committed at least a few of these kinds of fouls in last year's Western Conference. And he, I think he had like three handballs, none of which were called last game. So I think the referee was the same referee, and he made up uh, for some of these bad calls from last year. And, and it was totally a penalty. He left his feet, uh, didn't get any piece of the ball. Rossi um, did, yeah, I think, embellish a little bit, but there's definite contact there without a question. So th that was my opinion on that play for sure. I had no clue why he like went to the ground like that. It made no sense. It almost looked like he thought he was going to block a shot. And then when he realized Rossi was going through, he just spun around and cleaned him out. 
Now, Rossi kind of jumps over the tackle, but I mean, at that point, it's a clear pen. I have no idea what he was thinking. It doesn't seem to connect any dots for me as to why one would think that that's the appropriate way as a center back. But first of two gifts we got from him as far as goals basically conceded by him. What did you guys think of the little reel, the uh, the fish in for the celebration there from Rossi? What's he going with there? I think that's uh, eating. James Harden does that after some spectacular dunks he just feed the beast kind of thing yeah that's that's the way i took it it looked Uh, like he was like like you know kind of running the old school movie camera there i'm not entirely sure if maybe we'll we'll have to ask him oh well let's get out we could get him on yeah (laughs) rossi come on but with the two goals that uh, diego had in the match yesterday he now has seven in the mls's back tournament and that is more than Almost every team, except for LAFC and San Jose. By himself, he has more goals than uh, almost every other team that's played Let's be so honest, far. he could have had seven goals in this match. He had that many chances. My goodness. Right. As much as we want to tout the amazing performance of Rossi, and by all means, golden boot leader at the moment, has been carrying our team. But there were a lot of stretches or a lot of moments in this game in which he did not look great. Now, ultimately, at the end of the day, he gets the brace. We move on. You can't bag on the performance too much. But, you know, there were multiple times in which, you know, Raito would have had a tap in if he could have just put the ball across. A couple times he's one-on-one with the keeper and not able to get around him or get past him. Is that something you guys are worried about going forward? I'm not. And the reason being is this team produces so many chances. And for a player like him, he isn't the type of player like BWP where he's going to get one, two, three chances. And he's much more efficient, 100% BWP. But a player like Rossi who gets three to five chances per game, if he puts away one or two, he's doing well. And then his fitness, his activity level, I just don't want him to miss all his chances, right? Because then his confidence will come down. He's put in the work to be in this position to be able to have as many chances. So I'm not necessarily worried. I do want him to be more efficient in the upcoming games because I was nervous throughout the first half and probably the first 20 minutes of the second half. I kept telling my wife, I was like, I don't like this because we're only two goals up and they put one away and then that's when we'll be tested defensively really. We'll really see if we get nervous because I think that was part of the reason in the MLS uh, Western Conference finals last year we were up one nil and then once they scored one or two like we started getting away from the game plan and playing fluid the team overall showed character and i think rossi showed resilience because he didn't really get down despite missing so many chances he kept going at it it was a good game and i i'm glad that brian did get his goal and if you look a few minutes before brian got his goal which i mean that was such a, a heads-up play you know to Uh, intercept the ball from Ariaga and I mean Ariaga was just not focused and you know Brian Brian used his agility and his quickness and he got in and he got the ball and and got his goal and that was a beautiful goal but just before that you could see that Brian was getting frustrated because I felt like he was in a position to score a lot of goals throughout the match and people just weren't making the pass connection or they weren't seeing him in the open Uh, and Diego at one point tried to make that pass across and I forget the name of the defender that ended up blocking it with his left foot and he just kicked the ball and ricocheted away but I think that Brian is definitely 
he's in position to score those goals, and I think that we will see him score more goals as the tournament and the season progresses. Yeah, I'm struggling to pronounce that guy's last name as well, too. I have it in my notes here, but <laughs> I, I'm not 100%, and the pronunciation kind of wavered throughout the course of the broadcast as well, too. He definitely, I mean, that's a good play. He gets a toe in, but I have one pass from Blessing and two passes from Rossi that if they just make it past one defender and get to Brian, he's got a hat trick, tap-ins, but three times the service to him did not come through when, frankly, it should have in all three of those cases. Now, there were a slew of other times in which they tried to play a through ball or a long ball to him, and it just didn't get through. And those are, you know, you don't really expect each one of those to make it through. But the other three, the one from Blessing and the two from Rossi, those are the kind of passes you expect the attacking player to make. Other than the service is just on a platter for him to tap in. And it was noticeable, his frustration. He was throwing his arms up. He was yelling at other teammates. You could hear Bob yelling in from off the bench at him as well, too. I mean, every time he yells, Brian, I mean, it's it sort of stands out in the broadcast there yeah. as well, too. I feel bad for him, but I think they're in the 89th, 90th minute or so when we get, you know, our second gift from, you know, or that was would have been the fourth gift at that point, I suppose, from one of their center backs. Then he gets the tap in. I just think my main concern for this game is that all four LAFC goals came as a result of an obvious error from the other team. I mean, you can say that Rossi's goal, Ariega, you know, gifts him the ball, right? And then blessing, you have O'Neal throwing the shoulder in it to knock it in. Otherwise, it doesn't go in. We have the second Rossi goal. Ariega gives the ball away again. And then I forget who was rotated in at center back on Raito's goal. You're like uh, Svensson? Yeah, Svensson. Exactly. Yeah, Svensson, you know, who just gets his pocket picked and gives the ball there away at the end. So all four of our goals come from a team making an obvious mistake on their back line. None of our goals were scored, you know, from us building up an attack from the midfield through open play. And I'm worried that if we hit one of those teams that doesn't make a mistake that we can capitalize on, that we weren't able to execute on the stuff we created. And that, to me, is just this little concern that's sort of eating away at the back of my mind there, that we took advantage of their mistakes, great. But if a team doesn't make mistakes, you know, do we have enough without Velo, without Dio to create and I mean, we saw the opportunity there, but it never came through in this game. And I'm wondering if that stands out as a red flag to you guys. I have an, a counter argument to that because I think the team was pressing so high that forced these errors, right? So there's no way that these goals happen without Blessing taking the shot after he, he steals the ball or Rossi pressing the issue in the first goal or pressing the issue on the third goal, making Ariaga uncomfortable because his footwork isn't good. And the last goal is the same thing. He read the play. He anticipated what the first touch would look like, stole the ball. He still had some to do. He had to take him on, cut him in and out, and then finish, right? So, yes, we didn't take advantage of some of the plays where we built and created the offense. We just had didn't have our shooting boots in those instances, and that's the only issue there. But the, the, the chances were created. So, to me... I take it as a positive that we actually created goals or scored goals in a different fashion, right? In some of the other games, building up to this one, it was more offensive firepower. Maybe uh, that press-up high did create turnovers, but not in the box necessarily like these did. So I don't feel like it's something that's bothering me. What bothers me more is that they they just missed some gimmies, more so than we didn't create chances of what we feel like is building for all the way from the back to give blessing some credit on his goal 
you do have the interception by Cheeky Palacios on the long ball coming out from their end. And then Palacios played that beautiful long ball over the middle to K, and it was K to Raito. And then Raito hit that big cross that BWP whiffed on. Rossi couldn't get back in time. And then Blessing collected that ball as he came all the way across the box. And then he was able to put the shot that may or may not have been on target, although it looked like the keeper had it covered before it took that yeah. deflection off O'Neill and went in. So, I mean, that goal, I, I will give you, I mean, you know, that started with our back line and came forward with the beautiful pass to K. Beautiful pass from K all the way up to Raito. And frankly, Raito had a great cross. I mean, BWP just whiffed on it, which is a, a rare miss we see from him. And Blessing collected it at the end. So, I mean, obviously it takes the deflection. It didn't even look so much like a deflection. It kind of looked like O'Neill intentionally threw his shoulder at the ball, which yeah. I'm still perplexed as to that decision-making as well, too. So I will give him some credit on that. But I'm sorry, you were saying? I contend in saying that if there is any... Um... I'm not taking it back by uh, building all the way from the back because if you ask Bob, I'm sure he'll say the goal is to take the ball you know, first, third, and create chances there because at that point, they don't have numbers behind the ball anyway, right? So I just wish we were more effective for sure on those through passes. I mean, the the pass from Raito all the way from like his half a through ball looping around the defender right into the path of Rossi, that should have been a simple finish with a side foot. And he put it right at the keeper, like a dink, a hard shot, anything else would have uh, put that away. And I think put the game away a little bit earlier. That's when I was like still anxious because it was 2-1. You know, look, and Seattle's a team that doesn't give up a lot of goals. I mean, so 30 minutes in, we're up by two goals. That is the first time Seattle had trailed by two goals in their last 13 games. You got to go 14 games back in their schedule to find the last time that they trailed by two goals. That's an impressive statistic for a team that has had some pretty potent defensive ability. So to be able to go up by those two goals that early, that was an impressive statement. Obviously, they both ended up being the result of some defensive errors, but it's been a rare thing to see Seattle perform that poorly defensively. And certainly every time they made those defensive mistakes, we pounded them for it. And ultimately, that's why we're going on to play Orlando and they aren't. There were some other things in this game as we sort of approached halftime that I kind of wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on. BWP comes out at half, and El Munir comes in for BWP. Are we concerned about BWP's fitness, or do you think at that point we were just up two goals and it was pulling an attacker to save his strength? You know what? The fitness question, these guys are playing a game every four days almost. So they've definitely probably got some heavy legs. And it's a good thing now that we get a break for four days. Oh, we have a game on Friday. Like, you look at this schedule, and I just wonder how they uh, they had picked these dates. Some of these teams get, like, seven days off before their next match. It's just how the tournament bracket worked out in their favor. So I think that there is something to be said about some of the guys might have a little bit more of a fatigue. But at the end of the day, too... I don't think it's a huge concern because El Munir got subbed out later in the match. So there could be something to the effect of, of just wanting to give people minutes in positions just to see how they would do. Well, El Munir comes on for BWP when we're up by two goals. And then El Munir comes out for Mazowski, who comes in once it's back to a one-goal game. 
So to me, I think that's kind of a tactical switch. You pulled an offensive player off and put a defensive player on when we were up by two goals. But then when we were only up by one goal, we had to put the offensive-minded player back in and take the extra defender out. So I don't know if that's so much a bag on El Munir as it was just a tactical move by Bradley, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I'm wondering why, when that sub came in, why you wouldn't move Latif up to be a wing and then, if anything, have El Munir play as a midfielder. Or if you're in that position, why not have them switch without using a sub unless you're trying to give people minutes and positions and see what they can do? My only thought on that is because we were dominating the midfield, and if it's not broke, you know, I mean, what's the point in changing it up? I mean, so much of the positive run of play in this game came from the fact that Atuesta, K and Blessing were getting physical I mean, they were knocking people around, stealing the ball back. I mean, that press wasn't just coming from our forwards. The midfield play was outstanding in this game from a defensive standpoint for many stretches. I mean, you look at guys like, you know, Ladero and Rudy Diaz. I mean, they look like they were just getting beat on every ball coming to them. I mean, Ladero looks so frustrated throughout the course of the match. And, you know, if I'm Bob and I'm seeing that working that well, I don't know if I want to mess it up at halftime. Totally. Now, I have thoughts on both of these things you brought up. The BWP, I think it's a fitness thing. If you if you really think about it, he's bringing up our, our age average. He's 35, right? And three matches within three to four days each. Like, you don't want to waste his fitness. I understand the change with El Munir because he did well against the Galaxy, scored a screamer. He did okay in the Portland game as well. But I think tactically, he was a little lost in this game uh, when he came up as a forward. If you if you really noticed, he was playing and hanging a lot in the midfield, and I don't think that was by design. So um, I think he kind of missed his assignment in terms of pressing up higher. And then when he did receive the ball, if you recall, Atuesta uh, kind of screamed at him a couple of times because he, he gave it up cheaply, like twice, trying to do cross-field passes to either Raito or Rossi on the other side, which didn't make sense at that time is to, you know, take that air out of the ball, keep it a little bit, allow your team to catch their wind. Um, so, and I think Bob was screaming at him too, and he, he continued to uh, make these mistakes. If you notice the first goal, he was the closest person to their left winger, and he did not jog or sprint towards that, kind of gave him a free lane to get all the way up to Blackman. And I think that's another no-no in the system. Whoever's closest to the ball presses it. So I, I think he was out of position. His effort wasn't necessarily there, which to me didn't make sense because he came in in the second half, right? He should have some legs to, to be able to do these things. I think at that point, if you, was it Mazowski? When he came on, the, the dynamic changed because we, not, we had another target person up top. He was pressing up higher. He was giving an outlet to the team. He actually got a shot off during the game, forced to save. So I think it was a positive. I think he learned from his outing a few games ago. And I think training with the team more uh, over the course of the last week allowed him to get a little more comfortable. So tactically, it was the right thing for Bob to do. I think after the game, if you notice, as they moved into the FS1 like post game, you can see Bob talking to Almanir and pointing at stuff on the field and like uh, kind of showing him what he wasn't doing right. So even though we won for one, Bob was still talking to some of the players that he thought had some takeaways for the next match. So I think there's going to be a video for him to take a look at. Credit to him, though. He is not a winger, a forward in any, in any stretch. He's playing way out of position. So Cheeky has taken this spot, and he's kind of stepping in to help the team. And he's, he's learning as he goes. And 
I think taking him out was the right thing to do uh, for the broader scheme, and it, it resulted in a 4-1 win. So uh, good on Bob for doing that, and El Munir appreciated the effort, but I think he needed to take a seat and let Mazowski kind of incorporate himself a little bit. You brought up Mazowski getting a, you know appearance in the game yesterday. He uh, played in the game against Portland. I think I would like to know what you guys think about the rotation and the players that we have seen and the players that we haven't seen very much of. Before this tournament, I feel like we saw a good amount of Bryce Duke coming in on the second half as subs uh, in our preseason matches and in our two first two matches of the regular season. I don't feel like we've seen a lot of him. We also just got number 26, Adrian Perez. Oh. Adrian Perez just came back from injury. Uh, granted, yes, he was on the injured list for the game against Seattle. Seattle. Um, yeah, um, I think it's just a matter of fitness for him that he's not coming back in. I think in the case of Bryce Duke, we see him when it's a blowout when he comes in to take those minutes. I think the last couple games, I mean, obviously this game ended up being a blowout, but it wasn't a blowout. I mean, you know, we don't score uh, the third goal until, you know, 82nd minute. So, I mean, I think that's what's keeping Bryce Duke out in this game. Um, I was a little surprised. So early on throughout the course of this cup run, Bob was subbing players out, you know, around the 50th, 60th minute. As we got into the last couple games, he was doing it around, you know, the 70th minute. And then in this game, the subs didn't come in until the 80th minute. So I think there's an obvious attempt on his part to continue to stretch the starters out. You know, I think in the case of this game, I was a little disappointed in that. I had really hoped he had pulled the trigger about 10 minutes earlier because Seattle made a ton of subs around the 70th minute. LAFC looked super tired, and then they were running past us, and that's how I think it was Jones who ran down the side and eventually put that cross in that ended up being tapped in there at the back post, you know, by Bruin. So, you know, I thought if those subs had come in 10 minutes earlier, we might have avoided that 10-minute stretch in the 70s there where I feel like it got a little too interesting for, for my taste, and we missed that chance to bring in those subs a little earlier and just put the hammer on this game, but you know, ultimately, you know, we, we blew the doors off it at the very end there. And I think, again, this speaks to our depth, you know, as you get late in these games and we're talking, look, high 80s temperature, high 80s humidity, even for these night games, that's going to just wear people down, especially, you know, like Chris mentioned, when you're playing every four games. And I think when we have such a strong bench, so much depth, getting these guys into the game a little sooner would have benefited us in the game we just had versus Seattle at that 10 minutes, I thought. Might have been a bit too late to pull the trigger in the 80th minute, but curious to hear your thoughts. First, I want to commend the team for their fitness, especially like Rossi and Brayito. Like to me, I know that the hot team right now is kind of Leeds, but it seems like Bob has them running all day, every day when they're not playing because they can run at a, you know, 80 degree, 80 percent humidity for about 70 to 80 minutes, right? Do I think he could have subbed some of them off earlier? I think K. Got a little tired earlier. And beyond that, I, I think they were doing fine until the 80th minute. I think that was about the right time for me. I just, I just think El Munir and Blackman, Blackman maybe could have come off, but I don't know for who, right? Yeah. He looked tired. He, he gave up a lazy header that led to that Ray Diaz, like sitter that Vermeer actually came up with a save, which I commend him for. I think he commanded the box well. Uh, he made that one big save that Bob kept talking about and kept the, the score 2-1. Beyond that, I thought everyone else would look good. Um, I, it's, but maybe I'm wrong because we, we missed so many shots that it could have been the heavy legs getting up to the goal. They couldn't muster up the power 
to take the shot on frame the way they wanted to. We're ragging on Seattle for how many times they gave up the ball in their own box. But you know, in my game notes, I have three different times in which Blackman turned the ball over in our own defensive box. Now, fortunately, in all those cases, it never amounted to anything. Either the Vermeer save or a couple times he got bailed out by Segura coming in and blocking off the shot. But, I mean, you can't turn the ball over three times in your own box like that in the course of a game, you know. And and he just, he had some bad fouls. He looked absolutely gassed. And I was really surprised he didn't come out of the game sooner. Yeah. Well, it's a double-edged sword. If you put Blessing there, like, I think his energy set the tone early on. Him, a twist and K. But Blessing, I felt like, was everywhere. And if you put him at the right back with against Jordan Morris, I thought it was smart because Jordan Morris is a big, bulky man with speed, and he would have run over the, um, Blessing. So having Blackman there made sense, but I think it wore on him. Like, by the time that he came off, he was spent. And I think that's, that's the reason they were attacking down that left flank and right flank defensively. Dayan Yakovic seemed like he had some pretty good matchups versus Morris when he was covering there. I was surprised. He showed flashes of speed. People have you know, said that he doesn't have, but he seems to be able to close down those defenders when it matters. So, you know, look, maybe he doesn't have that top-line speed, but I thought he did an excellent job versus Morris. And obviously, you know, Segura and Rui Diaz was, I thought, an amazing performance from the two of them. I mean, obviously, Segura, we expect him to be a beast every game, and he certainly lived up to that in this last game. But, you know, I think Yakovic is somebody who seems to take a lot of heat from pundits and fans alike. And I really thought he stepped up in this game and had an amazing performance. I definitely was seeing the same thing when I watched the match yesterday. When Vince did his post-game video, I think it was after the Galaxy match, he made dimension about people are critical of Djokovic and how he's not he doesn't have the speed to keep up and he pointed out in that episode that there was so many times that he had pace with players and it's actually opened my eyes now I I'm more aware of looking for it when he when we watch these games and he does he keeps up with these players and I'm very satisfied with the with the job that he's done hashtag hire Vince how many people would love to just see Alexi Lawless replaced with Vince LaRosa? I think that would make for such a better tournament, in my personal opinion. Uh, if you hear that out <laughs> there, world of sports broadcasting, hire Vince, all right? It'd be interesting to have them both on, just to hear them quibble the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like any punches would be pulled between the two of them. That would make for some good TV. You know, again, I mean, back to that midfield. You know, we keep talking about sliding blessing out of that midfield, and you know, for me in this last game, I just I don't want to see Blessing come out of that midfield too much as well as they were able to stop the attack. I mean, I don't think Seattle had a shot on goal until that header from outside the box, which was like midway through the second half. I mean, we went through the entire first half and a good way into the second half. I was 20, 30 minutes into the second half before Seattle even managed their first shot on goal. And I mean, and it was a header from outside the box, top of the box, that was a, a piece of cake save for Vermeer. I mean, the dominance that midfield had throughout the course of the game was truly impressive. And I can see how Bob didn't want to break that up too much. Yeah. Speaking of that midfield, there were a couple things in it that I wanted to comment on. Obviously, Atuesta is sensational throughout the game. Not only are we seeing his ability increase, but his ability to lead and direct other players increase. He had a monstrous performance. 
blessing. I mean, just an absolute engine out there was killing it. Kay's passing was on point in this game. His defense was some of the best defense we have seen from him in a really long time. But my goodness, I do not want him shooting the ball. <laughs> I just, you know, I think he had three shots, none of them on goal. You know, all of them weren't really contested. I'm a, it always surprises me when guys can't get it on frame. And he consistently seems to be able to not get those shots on frame. Um, am I hating on the guy for no reason here? Or did you have the same perception? You know, I think that Kay has definitely been someone that is not a prolific scorer on our squad, but he has definitely had moments where he his the goals that he scores are beautiful goals. And I would not want to discourage him from taking shots that he feels are available, especially if it's times, you know, he's wearing the captain's armband for a reason. I'm sure that Bob Tress's decision-making, I would like to see more accurate shots, of course, but I'm not going to, I don't want to discourage him from taking more shots. Uh, I agree. He needs to keep taking the shots. The only issue I, I see with his technique is he needs to lean forward as he takes a shot. Every time he takes a shot, he's leaning back. That's what's going to cause the ball to rise every single time. He did have one play where he took a couple on and kind of side-footed it. He missed it by half a foot. And I thought that was beautiful. I think his dribbling improved over the course of the tournament. His passing, like you said, he's always an aggressive defender. Uh, he makes you feel him whenever you receive the ball around him. So... I don't want him to progress in this other aspect of his game. I just really hope Bob is showing him what he's doing wrong, that he just needs to lean forward because I prefer the shot to drag and go wide versus it going, you know, 10 feet above the bar. So um, that's the only thing I would say about that. Yeah, that one shot that just missed wide of the bar, you know, I mean, again, super close, but another one in which he was pretty wide open when he took that shot. You do kind of expect him to test the keeper. And that was from much closer than some of the other two, which were, you know, more of those top of the box. Hey, I'm just going to fire it because I'm the last option kind of kind of shots. But he had options on that one and, and he chose to, you know, go for that far corner and, and did just miss it. But still, uh, when you have the likes of, you know, a Rossi and a Raito and these guys up front, you know, you'd kind of like the shots to fall to them, but so that's not the way it works all the time for sure. Totally. And I think it's, he made the right plays. Like you have to take that shot. And the reason being is you want to lure the defender, right? Cause if you're always passing it off when you have that opening in front of the goal, even if it's 20 to 30 yards out, want them to make a decision and come towards you. Cause then that opens up the angle to that through ball. So if they're giving you the shot, you take it. You take it until, you know, you force a save and it, it puts a thought in their mind that he's going to keep taking the shot. And at that point, it opens up the other options. The only thing that, you know, stood out to me as by far the worst thing about this game is that terrible fan noise. My goodness, it was awful, you know? As a person from the 3252, it infuriates me. Like, if you're going to use the chant, use the whole chant right use the chant as we sing it in the bank don't do these like weird chopped up versions of our chants like i just didn't it didn't make a whole lot of i why it's a perfectly good chant why do you have to like only play parts of it and then sort of edit it back in i found it infuriating oh you could hear taylor twillman was the uh play by play yeah he was casually saying throughout the broadcast if you want to watch it without the added fan noise Go ahead and watch it on the app. And I'm, you know, I'm wondering why 
Fox would say that to, um, I don't know. I guess it doesn't change the viewership if you watch it on the app or the television. But uh, it, just, I think it just seemed interesting. It's like obviously, them, yeah. Yeah. Well, it just seems also that if you know that it bothers people, why not just do what the ESPN's doing, where they're not putting in any crowd noise? Or like take a recording of the whole chant and put the whole chant in. Like, I don't think that's asking for too much. It was these weird, like, you would hear, like, parts of hoo-ha and then it would go into Jump for LA Football Club and there was, like, no line. And, you know, as a fan, like, when you hear those sounds, you get a cadence and a pattern to the beat and then it changes on you. And it was, I found it really distracting. It was really bugging me. Maybe more than it should have, but... Well, it's because uh, we know. Like, if, if you're... Some dude in Minnesota, he's like, man, this is cool, right? And I think the reason they're announcing the fan list is because if you're used to the ESPN, and since ESPN is putting all this together, they have an alternate feed for those that prefer it, which I've now become more accustomed to not having a sound, at least without fans. It makes more sense to me because you do get a chance to really uh, understand what kind of communication goes on on the field and the coach and all that. Um, but I think if you're Joe Schmo in Kansas City, and you hear these chants like, this is fun, this is cool, this is awesome. For us LAFC fans, like, for sure, I, I don't want to hear, like, 10 seconds of hoo-ha and then jump for LA fo- football club at the wrong times. Like, we know what minutes they come up, too, yeah. right? So it's, it's, it's a little frustrating. I don't mind it because at least it lets me, like, close my eyes a little bit and think about uh, those memories, sometimes hazy, but good memories that we have. One thing I want to ask you guys, so the first game of the MLS's back tournament we had... Kenneth Vermeer, then the Galaxy game and the Portland Timber game, we had Cisniega, and then we had Vermeer again last night for Seattle. Do you feel like Bob is picking the player that's in goal on just who is looking the freshest and the best before the match, or do you think that it has something to do with the team that we're playing, and who do you think Bob will play against Orlando? I think there's an element to who they're playing, but... Really, what I think is they signed Vermeer. He was kind of given the number one jersey. Uh, he was giving the starting job from the get-go. And I wouldn't say for his pedigree in Europe, he was performing up to it. So I think Bob chose to give Cisnega a couple shots, and one of them was the Derby. And he didn't do badly. He didn't. But I don't think he, he took the reins from Vermeer. Uh, But what it did do, I think probably in training, and we don't get a chance to see that, is light a fire under Vermeer. Uh, Probably put him on notice. That doesn't matter how much money they're making or where they played, Bob will make the decision that's right ultimately for the team. So that's my perspective on it. Well, I I think that Vermeer is probably the better goalie, more experienced. He looked more calm. His distribution is definitely a lot better. And I thought he commanded the box pretty well yesterday. Uh, it seemed like the defense was a little bit more organized this time than his outing against Houston. I didn't feel that kind of organization when Cisniega was in goal the previous two matches. So that's that's my take on it. It's more of Vermeer's job to lose. I think he made a better case for himself moving forward, and I don't think he's going to go back to Cisniega after this. I think Vermeer's our number one keeper. Cisniega is our backup keeper, but after so many months off with no gameplay, you had to get Cisniega in there at some point. So I think in the group stage was the right time to do that. Give him a couple games, get his feet wet a little bit, put that pressure on Vermeer, 
let CeCe Niega know he's just not buried on the bench, that he has a place on this team. I think there was some smart sort of team-building decisions around moving back between the two. I don't anticipate, barring a, a, you know, a fitness or a knock or some you know, specific matchup, CeCe Niega coming back in. I just think from a shot-stopping standpoint, CeCe Niega's amazing, has a ton of raw talent there. Vermeer seems to be decent at his shot stopping, but I don't think has the raw ability Cisneros has. But as far as distribution, not giving away those turnovers twenty yards in front of you when you're you're bringing the ball out, you know Vermeer had some great passes in this game, and so I think you got to go with that veteran presence, that calm mind, especially in a game that could go to PKs. Maybe you want to save Cisneros fresh for PKs. So that way he can explode at those balls if one of these games ends up tied. Because at 90 minutes, boom, you're straight into PKs. And so I think, you know, Bob wanted to get Cisaniega a run out, so he got to see a few shots. And I think he's saving him for PKs in any of these games. And Vermeer is going to play the 90 minutes. That's my two cents on it. What do you think, Chris? I think that Vermeer is going to play the rest of the tournament, provided that there's nothing, like Jonathan said, with any kind of fitness or injury. I think thought that Cisniega played well, except for a handful of his um, mid-touches. I thought that when you look at the penalty kick and the Galaxy game, that stands out on the first block. Granted, yes, he was off his line, but still, I think that there is a lot of talent, and I just hope that Pablo realizes that there is an opportunity here in the future. The last thing I would want is for Pablo to get discouraged and want to move on to somewhere where he's going to get more playing time. Uh, I think that he is someone that we could have on our squad for a long time and he would be great for us. I just don't know if right now is the time. And, I, you know, I want to see Pablo do well. Yeah, look, he's the future for sure. I don't think anyone argues that LAFC plan him to be our first team keeper in the future. But, I mean, look in your heart, look in your head right now and tell me, who do you trust more in making that judgment ability as to when they need to come off there, you know, and, and chase that ball down in the midfield? I'm trusting Vermeer a lot more right now. Who do you trust more to place that long ball on a dime and not give up that easy turnover right in front of the box? I'm going with Vermeer on that one as well, too, right? And what little benefits Cisniega might have in length and ability to get side to side. You know, I would much, much rather have clean distribution out of the back and a keeper that's not going to make those mistakes running forward as opposed to what we've seen from Cisniega in that regard is a little iffy. He had some some bad turnovers and he had some times in which he came off his line that, you know, might not have been timed perfectly. My, my one critique on Vermeer, though, is when he comes out to get the ball outside of the box. And it's definitely a hard thing to, to try and plan the, the timing to get out to the ball on um, how fast you're going to get to the ball before the attacking player comes and gets the ball. There have been times where I feel like he comes outside of the box and it's it just makes me a little bit anxious on how it looks. Granted, nothing has happened yet and we haven't had any of those scenarios go bad, but a few seconds this way or a ball out of touch the, uh, the other way and it could be uh, a very embarrassing uh, situation for us so let's make some predictions for the rest of the lineup versus orlando so at this point i think all three of us are firmly convinced that vermeer is going to be in goal the only absolute 100 percent lock on this team is sigura 
right? So what do you guys think the back four lines up as? Uh, is he going to keep Cheeky Blackman Dejan out there, or are we going to see him mix it up a little? I see no changes at all. It's the same. I think it's Blackman, Dejan, Segura, Cheeky, Blessing, Atuesta, K, Rayito BWP, and Rossi. No changes. So you don't bring Ginella in. You don't experiment with the back four at all, try and get Blackman some rest, none of that? I think that's 70 to 80 in terms of yeah. them coming on. You know what? I, the experiment period is gone. That was the group stage. The group stage was when you were trying to figure out what lineups worked best. I think now that we're in the, in the winner go home bracket, the lineup that we saw against Seattle is the lineup we're going to keep, barring injury or fatigue. Speaking of injury, Nahar looks like his 20-minute debut caused an injury for him, so he might be out. Are you guys a little surprised that after so much rehab time and so little time on the pitch, he's already back out? What are your thoughts on that? I hope we didn't spend too much money on that contract. That's all. I mean, I, I hope he can prove himself. Um, I, I don't think... This is this is what makes me think that the training sessions are very very intense, right? Because just because he came in for 20 minutes only, he's been training with the team, and I'm sure his legs are fatigued, and he probably needs additional rest time. Um, wasn't ready for prime time. Uh, I think the intent is to to have him win that right back position and then move Blackman into the center. Uh, it's it's yet to happen. I feel like it'll probably be in November when that happens if if he gets healthy. Um, so I, I just hope Bob saw something in terms of fitness that, uh, allowed him to be signed. And if, if not, I hope we didn't spend too much money. Well, we did use that international slot, you know, so that was part of Zimmerman going away was to bring him in. Like, obviously we got all that money for Zimmerman, but it was that allocation ranking slot that we got as well too, that was used on Nahar. So in some respects, I mean, look, I'm not saying he replaces Zimmerman because we got a ton of cash in that deal as well, too, and some of that allocation money as well, too. But as far as places on that international slot list, I mean, that was the number one overall slot that we used to bring him in. So, I mean, that's that's kind of using a big piece there to bring him in if it turns out that, you know, he ends up being injured and we only saw these few minutes from him. That would certainly be disappointing. I'm not disillusioned, though. I think about how long it took Rayito and Chiki to really get integrated, right? Yeah. So, and how um, old are they? I mean, Rayito's 19, Chiki's what? I mean, he's not that old as well. Yeah. I mean, I I'm not worried about those guys adjusting. They'll be fine in two, three years when they're hitting their peak, for sure. So what do you think we're going to see from Orlando? We've sort of all come to an agreement here of exactly what LAFC is going to put out, more of the same. What are we expecting to see from Orlando? I mean, the only the only players I know on that team are Nani and Joao Moutinho. <laughs> that's that's really all I know from them. So I think Monani is going to be kind of a creative winger type, less speedy version of Morris, but I think a little bit more physical and more uh, has a higher football IQ. So Blackman's going to have his hands full, maybe not fitness-wise, but just making sure he has the right angles and the right tackles brought in. Um, I, I think their new manager, Pareja, he was with Dallas. He built up that youth system. I think he is very well organized. His team defensively is going to be organized. With all that said, I think we do still have the upper hand. I don't think they've played a team like LAFC yet. And they do have a youngster who I can't recall his name up top, who is 
I think in the second or third tier of the Golden Boot. So they have a few a few offensive options. I think if we get caught out um, or make a mistake, they definitely have the ability to take advantage of one or two of our mistakes. So it's going to be our opportunity to run and gun and create those chances and make sure we press them and put them away early on. Their attack is quick. They have some very fast players up top there. Nani might not have the speed he had five years ago, but he's certainly five years more intelligent. His distribution, his organization of their team has been impressive so far in this tournament. I think a lot of people had them as underdog picks to advance, so I, I don't know if they're a Cinderella story or a surprise, but I think they've certainly lived up to high expectation now to consider them as a favorite or even, you know, a healthy chance of winning versus LAFC is obviously ridiculous on paper. LAFC should run them off the pitch, but game's not played on paper. So there's always a chance, right? Especially if we can't capitalize on building up. And if, you know, we make some mistakes in the back, you never know what could happen. But certainly it would appear as though we are the wild favorite to win this game. But you never know. Sometimes that underdog mentality causes teams to rally and kind of bunker down. They're going to have to withstand an onslaught from us and catch us on the counter and, and play error-free football in order for them to advance past us to um, play the winner of Minnesota and San Jose, which I, it, to me, it just looks like all things are pointing to an Almeida versus Bradley uh, you know, a San Jose versus us and, and Mike D gets to come back out and we get to have a nice big old fight with our uh, NorCal rivals. I, that to me just seems like maybe that's looking ahead too much as to what happens before the game in front of us. But I just don't see Orlando putting up much that we can't handle. No, no I have no additional thoughts on that. Uh, can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to celebrate the Orlando game more than likely a win. And uh, I think I think it's going to be by at least two goals. It's it's interesting, you know. I'm looking at the bracket right now, and you know, the game on Friday is Orlando and LAFC. The then uh, there's another match on Thursday, and that's going to be Philadelphia and Sporting, NYCFC, and the winner of Portland and Cincinnati that's being played right now. They play on the first, and then San Jose and Minnesota, and so. The winner of LAFC Orlando plays the winner of San Jose, Minnesota, like you said. Minnesota winning earlier today in penalties against Columbus was a huge defeat because I think everybody was expecting Columbus to just pull through in the form that they were in. And Tyler Miller, former goalkeeper for LAFC, got uh, two stops in the penalty shootout. Uh, One in game, one in the shootout. uh, Oh, okay. One in game and one in the shootout. So I'm not sure that San Jose is going to beat Minnesota. You know, I think there is an opportunity for Minnesota to actually push ahead. And wouldn't that be interesting to see Minnesota play LAFC in the next round? Well, Tyler Miller is busting my bracket prediction, so I'm not happy with him at the moment. Um, (laughs) But absolutely, no one wishes him any ill will. Uh, As displeased as he vocally admitted to being at the end of the season with us last year, he was always a class act with the fans. He always, you know, put in a solid effort out there on the pitch as well, too. And I'm, there's none of us rooting against Tyler Miller, that's for sure. But I kind of want him to lose just so we don't have to face him. Just because there's something about the keeper that used to be on our team, and he knows a lot of our tendencies and things like that. And you really, 
you know, I think we would be, and I just think that matchup versus San Jose just seems a little bit sexier on, you know, as far as looking at it from the outside, but you never know. That yeah. I want to watch that because uh, it's free flowing football, man. Like very minimal defense. It's like run and gun. Golden State Warriors against the Rockets or something. No, no defense so, at all. Let me ask you guys real fast before we wrap this up. On the other side of that bracket, Philadelphia plays Sporting Kansas City, and NYCFC uh, is going to play. If things were to end right now, Portland, who's up one zero on Cincinnati with the uh, seventy. One minute's already played in the match. So let's say it's Philadelphia sporting Kansas City. Who do you guys think would win in that match? And then Philly. I'll, and then after you guys enter, I'll ask Philly. Do you think Philly. Philadelphia? Both of yeah. you guys, Philadelphia? Okay. And then if it's NYCFC versus Portland? I think Portland. NYCFC was out of this tournament. It took two other teams failing in order for them to fall into the next round anyway. I just think that team is struggling to play on a, a proper sized pitch without baseball mounds in the middle of it. I think they're gonna win. I mean, they did just they did just beat Toronto though, three to yeah. one. Yeah, I, I think Toronto had a bit of an off night. I think there was a lot to this game that that scoreline doesn't accurately. I mean, I think at the beginning of that game, you know, I don't know. I don't think Toronto was as good as people play them up to be personally. Well, I watched the match. I think NYCFC put them on their heels. Ah, that's why I'm picking them to go through. I think they're starting to gel. They just got a new manager this year. This is like their yeah. fourth manager in four years. So I'm picking them against Philly for that semi. We, we should uh, see if Al Alexis from the Cooligans uh, wants to chime in on the yeah, NYCFC. Yeah, shout out to them too. I'm picking it for them. I actually texted him or I think I sent him an IG message right after the Galaxy loss and like, you're welcome. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> for Cooligan's sake, I hope NYCFC does well. I just, I think it's, I think it's Philly that's coming out of that end of the bracket, making it to the final. I think they're taking down Portland in that half of the bracket semi. I don't know, man. I could see Portland. I could see Portland beating Philadelphia and then Portland making it to the finals. Portland's a tough team, man. They play aggressive, yeah. and they and they definitely have some. Yeah, it's. It, and they get under your skin. I don't know. I could see Portland making making some noise. That's it for us. Uh, guys, it was uh, good to see you guys again, even if it is through Skype, Zoom, whatever we're using. It um, is a pleasure, as have... always, to speak with you boys. And hopefully we are sending Orlando all the way back to, oh, wait, um, home, wherever <laughs> that may be for them. <laughs> Yeah, uh, if anyone is interested in getting in touch with us, go ahead and reach out to us on our social media at LAFCS2S. And if you guys are interested in coming on the show, telling us your story, please do so. Let us know, and we'll be sure to get you on. And we also have a couple of guests lined up next week. So we will be coming at you guys with more content, and we look forward to hearing from you guys. So with that, from Chris, myself, and Jonathan, Take us home, sticks. Showed up to show up together. This our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that. Bitch.